right, and we're back for another episode of Friends from Work, the podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm your host, Robbie Earl. He's your co-host, Kyle Sconewell, and we could not be more excited to be here today because today marks something of a milestone in this rewatch journey that we've been on for a bit now. Yes, it absolutely does, and I am as excited for this as I have been for anything ever. <laughs> anything so I'm going to try to stay anything ever. I think I'm going to try to stay calm for the intro, but just know somewhere in here the juices will get flowing. But yes, today is the end of phase one. Oh man, we watched the Avengers last night. And it's such a pivotal movie for so many reasons. And I think it was just a true joy for me to rewatch it. So I'm just pumped right now. I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> but let's 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 get started, can we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Avengers was released on May 4 of 2012. It grossed over 1.5 billion billion with a B dollars. Wow. And you know the cast, but by way of an official intro. Robert Downey Jr. played Iron Man. Chris Evans plays Captain America. Mark Ruffalo plays the Hulk. Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Scarlett Johansson as the Black Widow. And Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. Those are our original six Avengers. There you go. The movie also stars Tom Hiddleston, Clark Gregg, Sam Jackson, amongst others. So this is really the first time we have seen a cast of this magnitude. Right. The screenplay was written and the movie was directed by Joss Whedon. Right. It has 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences loved it. Critics loved it. It was pivotal and it made <laughs> $1.5 billion. So, so okay, before- anything negative that's going to be said is got to be taken with the smallest grain of salt ever. Before we get any further, I do want to point one thing out that I noticed for the first time on the, on the credits here. Um, did you see that the the screenplay is written by Joss Whedon, but the story is actually by Joss Whedon and Zach Penn, who, interestingly oh. enough, wrote The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, and I remember that because we made the joke about his name sounding American right, and not right. French. Okay. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I, I think it's really funny how a lot of the writers sort of show up throughout the whole MCU, and sometimes the writers for one movie that we really love or also the writers for movies that are decidedly less loved. I personally would not have brought Zach Penn on, <laughs> so I'm glad somebody did, though. Yeah, but, there you go. Okay, so in the past with these rewatch episodes, we typically start off by saying what kind of worked in the movie, what didn't work, and then what is foundational, and then kind of what's our overall thoughts. Um, for some reason, I just was so much enjoying this watch last night that I just started scribbling like my stream of consciousness, just random notes. Right. So I don't have them broken into what worked and what didn't work, but I think it's going to kind of actually make for a fun episode, if you will. Yeah. And I, like I think change because it's the end of, yeah, because it's the end of phase one, I think it's fine to change up and give this movie uh, a teeny bit of specialness to it. Robbie, last night I finally really, really, really appreciated your watch order. Oh, Everything wow. we've talked about came to fruition last night for me. I felt more invested in Coulson. Yes. I felt more tied into the Thor story and how it ties into this movie. Yep. And last night, I just got to, again, like, turn off all the lights, 70-inch 4K TV, <laughs> surround sound. And I don't know if it's just because I got to watch it in that environment or if it's also a combination of your watch order, but I felt like I was watching the movie again for the first time. 
Man. And it felt so good. So thank you to you. Thank you to my TV. <laughs> and I, it just felt really natural. No, I love hearing that because that really is the goal here of the watch order for me. It's like what I was saying, I think, with Thor. For me, at least, it allows me to come into these movies with a totally different perspective because they all have a slightly different place or a very different place in the story. And so I think rather than it just being something where I'm watching a movie that I've often seen a lot, I think that allows me to experience it sort of anew, which it sounds like it did the same for you, which is great. Well, I think I also have to add that this is probably my most watched movie of any movie in the MCU, I think. Partially because it's always on television and stuff. And so I wonder if that's a little bit affected how I feel about it because I'll catch like just the back half or the first half and it'll just be on television in the background and blah, blah, blah. So to like stop and pretend like I'm back in the theater for the first time was amazing. So that's all I'm saying. Let's get into the movie because I'm excited. Here's my notes as I went through the movie. All right, hit me. I... Uh, oh, I, I just got so many chills for the first time, really, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with how it starts. I totally forgot that the very first scene is actually a tie and a reference to Thanos before the helicopter stuff. Oh, that's right. That's right. The very first scene is the Chitari leader talking to Thanos, again, about humans and how they are wretches, and it's it's a cool thing. And the whole intro scene of Loki showing up, the attack... And then I just got so many chills. It's in all caps. Sam Jackson says, this is a level seven, Coulson. As of now, we are at war. And then Coulson says, what are we going to do? And it just goes, bum, uh. bum, 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 bum. And I got so many chills. Like, It's so good. So this is an appropriate spot to pause and say, I'm going to be Robbie for a second and say, the score <laughs> and Alan Silvestri, man. I'm telling you. I think that this Avengers theme is going to go down as like our generation Star Wars. It's that significant to me, the main theme. Yeah. And it brings up so many old school feeling emotions every time I hear it, regardless of the context. Right. It is a genius theme. It sounds so classic yet not dated. It's hard to explain how much I love the theme and what he did with it. I'm telling you, I think what Joe Johnson said about Alan Silvestri and Captain America applies throughout the entire MCU whenever he shows up. He has a way of really holding films together. Right, yeah, I agree. The intros to every character, it's a little on the nose, but it's still so cool I wrote down the same thing. I wrote down the same thing. If you notice, each line kind of ties in the next character. So like when Fury is talking to the directors, they say, war is not won by sentiment. And he says, no, it's won with soldiers. And then the very next scene is Captain America. Oh, and he's hitting the bunch of bite. At the end of Captain America, he says, you should have left the Tesseract at the bottom of the ocean. And it cuts to Iron Man in the ocean. Yeah. Every character's intro, starting with Romanoff, and going all the way to Iron Man is so cool. Yeah. How you're like, oh gosh, they're going to be a team. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I just got so excited about it. One thing that I that I really liked about Cap's intro, particularly in our viewing order, and this is just this is the last time I'll say I really like starting with Captain America rather than ending with it right before the Avengers, as was the case in the release order. We even get a little bit of a reminder in these flashbacks that he's getting as he's punching the punching bag. So it's like, it's been such a long time now since we've seen Steve. And I'm just so excited when I see him again, as opposed to initially, the Captain America movie came out less than a year before 
the Avengers. And so you just don't get that, that sense of, of Steve's been, you know, in the background doing his thing and, and now we're excited to have him back. And I just, I felt that because I love that character so much and then we get him again and it's like he's getting ready to, I don't know, I love it. Yeah, agreed. Also, another thing that worked is the banter is at full power and I love it. Like <laughs> I have this written down based off the line of when Tony says, why is he Phil? His first name is Agent when he's like in the background oh, yeah. really panicking yeah. about it. And that's what I thought. Yeah, dude, I just love that the banter is back. Yeah. My one knock to follow up on something you said is there are a few tilted camera yep. shots, yep. but but it's way less and way less jarring. And I know this because I started tallying them <laughs> and it's way less. Instead of like every other shot, it's like six total in the movie. Right. So they were learning from what we were talking about apparently. <laughs> Um, did you notice this time in that first scene, Dr. Selvig says, I think that the Tesseract is awake and it's misbehaving. And I had never really noticed this before, but a lot of what's going on with Loki in this movie and with Selvig especially is that they're trying to get the Tesseract to kind of work, which I thought was interesting. At one, I think it's kind of cool compared to Thanos where he can just, you know, sort of will whatever he wants it to do. Um, but I also thought, and this is something I really never considered, even though it's sort of made obvious in the movie, is that they end up needing Tony's arc reactor technology to power the Tesseract, to kind of get it going. And I was reading about this, and there are these Marvel comics that come out that kind of accompany each MCU film that I actually haven't read, but I think generally they just kind of trace the events of the movies, but sometimes they fill in some things that the movies weren't able to deal with. Whether or not you would call those strictly canon is a conversation for another time. But one thing that I saw there as I was reading is that Nick Fury says in that comic that they had had the Tesseract forever and hadn't really been able to make any headway with it until Tony kind of put together or invented or discovered the element that he puts together in Iron Man 2. Oh, I kind of love that. Actually. Which is kind of cool, right? Which is then the, the new, I guess, arc reactor that he's probably using for Stark Tower. Yeah, I had never thought about any of that, but I think that that's a, a whole new, really cool Iron Man connection. Yeah, that is really cool. Okay, so Robbie, one of the things that this watch order has done so well is prepare me for this movie, specifically regarding the characters we know and love. I, I feel like I have a better depth of knowledge of each one. And now you think about the way that Iron Man 1 and 2 like really sets up Tony as kind of a douche. <laughs> and in the same way, Captain America 1 sets up his tendencies. And we talked about Thor and how we get the quintessential version of Thor in his movie. Right, right. I don't know if this movie works as well if those movies don't do those things as well as they did. Yeah. Because to see them finally get together, you understand the clash. Yeah. That I don't know that you'd fully get without that development, even without the, some of the stuff that we didn't particularly love. Right, right. No, I totally agree. And I even think this time, I hardly think Incredible Hulk is essential, but I think that actually added some to my appreciation of Avengers to some degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and yeah. that's the thing is, I was thinking this whole time when I'm watching this movie about one line you said about Iron Man 2, where you talked about how 
they had to make Iron Man look like a jerk so that his morals are far away from Cap's. Right. So that this movie works. And I couldn't get that out of my head. It's so true for the, especially the first half of this movie. Right. When they're on the ship, the flying ship. Right. Wow, it's so much better now with that in context. So that's one of the things that I really love and really love if we're talking about things that are foundational is that just immediately there's the Cap Tony tension that really never goes away until immediately. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. immediate. I mean, we yeah, we have that and it flows through every interaction they have for the most part until we get to the a good way through endgame. And here's the thing, I'm team Iron Man, but on this viewing, it really hit me like Tony's a jerk. Yeah. Really from the very beginning, he's a jerk to Cap. It's not like Cap's really doing a whole lot wrong to provoke it, you know, right. at first. Well, and he's like walking around, you know, poking Banner, trying to make him turn into the Hulk just because he's curious. I mean, he's... They, it's his arrogance, yeah. and it's his broken relationship with his father, and Cap is everything that he's kind of against for a while. Right. Let's let's sit in that for a second longer. What What is it that you think... I mean, because you talk about being Team Iron Man. I, I know that once we get to Civil War, there are actual sort of arguments being made on both sides here. But what do you think is the real dispute between Cap and Iron Man at, at this stage in the game? I think that Cap is a team player and mm -hmm. Tony is not. That is the foundational core. Tony is a narcissist that really cares about himself and has to work hard to even care about his immediate circle. Right. And the idea of playing well with others, I think, is the foundational problem. What do you right. think? I think that's right. I mean, that kind of goes back to Fury's analysis that we get at the end of Iron Man 2. Um, He's not a team player. Fury was correct. Right, right. In Romanoff. Right. And I think you're right. I think it is. I think uh, Tony is so confident in himself, and he thinks that he can by himself sort of solve all the problems. I think that's what Iron Man 2 does a really good job of showing. Well, and Cap is obviously naive and which right. is the opposite of Tony, you know, in his brain. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I really love it here in this movie because, you know, the next time we see Cap and Tony together is going to be Age of Ultron after Winter Soldier, which is a big turn for Cap's character. But this is where we see Cap still at his most naive, and we see Tony kind of at his most selfish. And so I think it's, it's all the more stark the contrast and I and I, especially with Cap just coming out of the ice and he's still trying to get acquainted with the world and Tony views himself probably as more a man of the world than anyone else and right. so I, yeah it's such a fun relationship and it's so well done every time and it's what it's it's why I am so often going to pick up a movie featuring Cap and Tony anytime I'm going to pick up an MCU film to rewatch because I love that relationship. Well, and keep in context something you told me in Iron Man 2, you know? At this point, Tony's maybe the most famous person in the world. Right. So not only is he just of the world, he like that's, is yeah. the world at this yeah, point. That's a good point. That's and, a good, I mean, you know, yeah. then I, like I said earlier, I think then you toss in a little bit of daddy drama <laughs> um, and that dad loved Cap. I don't think yeah. that helps. You know, I think the reason I say to sit in this uh, is just because I think this will be a fun relationship to check in on periodically throughout the rest of the MCU because I think it is such a driving force. 
yeah, this is the Avengers as we know it yeah. for the most part. So with all this talk about these different actors and how settled they are into their roles, you could almost kind of like rank who feels most settled. By this point, I feel like Cap and Tony feel very settled, right? And yeah. this is kind of the coming of age for Loki. We're finally getting the best Loki. We still haven't quite got the best Thor, right? Yeah. Fury has felt settled the whole time to me. Yeah. I think it's underrated how settled in Scarlett Johansson has been this whole time. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I think she's great again in this movie, and she's never felt out of character to me. So no, I just want to give agree. a shout-out to her. She's great. I thought she did a really great job of incorporating the character that we've seen in Iron Man 2, even with just that little kind of knowing smile she gives whenever Tony flies in in Germany, while also taking the character a bit further. Another thing is... I think playing up the panicked Bruce thing, that's interesting and yeah, new for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that scene is another time that I thought you talked about how the Incredible Hulk, they, yes. they kind of did the horror thing in those early Hulk scenes. I do like that Hulk scene where he's just kind of terrifying. Yes, Especially like wrote, when it's just it's them and they're alone, you know? They continue the trend of Banner being horrifying. Right. Which I, I like a lot. Yeah. I think I like that they with Thor. They almost play in still to the fact that Thor like kind of sadistically likes violence and the challenge at least. Yeah. There's a scene of Banner right after he's freaking out makes Thor bleed. Right. And Thor sees the blood and gives us like smirk of like, well, okay, well, now I we're like, going. Yeah, what I think we're getting there is this sense that Thor who, if we're kind of looking at his arc in the last Thor movie, I think we're supposed to realize has learned a lot about kind of it's like that line that we get from Odin, you know, a good king doesn't seek out war, but he must always be ready for it. I think there's this idea that for Thor in that moment, like here is an opponent that he can just let loose against totally responsibly. Like he secretly likes it. Yeah. Deep down, I think. And I love that. I mean, talking about seeds, I love that even in this movie, we get the kind of, in the same way we get the Cap Tony thing, which is obviously much more dramatic. We get the funny Thor banner thing that will also take us all the way through to the end game on a, in a different way. But that seed is what makes Thor's eventual showdown with Thanos so unfulfilling. This is the beginning of that. We're seeing Thor is obsessed with violence and it's almost like he likes it. And when he finally gets to the end of that, the ultimate act of violence oh, and wow. it totally doesn't fulfill him. Wow. That's his end of the road, right? Oh, that's good. Yeah. There's no more challenge left, and, he, and his violence didn't help anything. Yeah, that's the end of the kind of brash Thor that thinks that he can... Take it a step further. His Not only did his violence not help anything, his arrogance is actually what cost him by talking to Thanos instead of actually finishing him off. Right. Yeah. I see the seeds already planted, and, and I think, again... Oh, last thing. That's like why I'm giving you props for this order because I'm gaining a, a more respect for Thor's arc. Yeah. And the shot of him just taking Hulk to task with the hammer in the head was so yeah. cool oh, in such slow a motion. Cool, yeah, it's such a cool shot. Okay, so Robbie, do you feel like the dialogue is just really good in the movie? Because I do. Across the board. I do. I'm a fan of Joss Whedon's writing. I'm a fan of it here. I'm a fan of it in Age of Ultron. I think it's, it's very... Um, it's very distinctive. Joss Whedon's style in general, I think, is very distinctive from the Russos. I think, and we've talked about this a bit before, I think the Russos bring a, a lot kind of slicker approach 
there's something that's really charming about the way that, that Joss Whedon does it. And there's a love for the characters that you can just feel. Interestingly enough, whenever I was doing some research for Iron Man, Joss Whedon actually put his hat in the ring for Iron Man initially. And that obviously went to John Favreau and Joss Whedon was then ultimately given this film. But I thought it was that was kind of interesting that he has this this love for these characters going back even to before the MCU is kind of becoming a thing. He was wanting to be involved. And he's also, I mean, I don't know if you know this, he's a comic book writer. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so he's he's written a pretty famous run of the X-Men. Uh, he's written kind of scattered comics. Um, but yeah, he's, I think that what I like about these movies is that they feel like they were written by a fan. Yeah. And you, yeah, it's, and that's, you know, because that is a difference here because the, the Russo brothers directed Avengers films are not written and directed by the Russo brothers, right? Um, you have other screenwriters there. Whereas here, I, I do think the whole thing is kind of a labor of love from Joss Whedon. So for better or for worse, if, if there's something that's in there, it's, it's very Joss Whedon-esque. Well, where I really resonate with that is I would pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars just to watch these characters interact. It, it's such a fresh thing to me to have these fully developed characters join the same movie. Right. And yeah, I feel like he really does approach that in that same way. The same way I'm feeling, that's how I feel like Joss wrote this. Yeah. I just want to see what would a guy from Asgard say to a super soldier that was frozen for, you know, a bunch of years. Yeah. You get so many weird interactions that you can get and that makes it so fun. And by the way, this is what makes this whole MCU so great. Yeah. I've I've heard the Rousseau brothers talking about like, oh, think about, like they had brainstorming sessions for Endgame just just with the idea of, well, we could put this person with this person or it'd be fun to right. put this person with this person just to see how they interact. And that resonates with me as a fan. Wow, I'm in on that. I brought up the dialogue originally because my favorite part of the whole movie, I think, is from, there's like a 30-minute stretch where the dialogue is just flawless. And it starts with Loki doing his speech in Germany and right. the old guy saying, there are always men like you. Right. Then Tony taking over the sound system with ACDC. One of my favorite moments in the movie, by the way. You get this amazing look from Black Widow for a second. Yeah. She like kind of smiles like she knows what's happening, but it's also like an eye roll kind of thing. I also love Cap's reaction to that because I think they're still trying to convey that he is kind of getting used to life now. And he sort of freaks out when he hears the (laughs) ACDC coming over the speakers. And right. I feel like that's a little nod to him still being in 1940s mode. They then capture Loki and they take him in the plane. And back to back to back, I get, I'm not kidding, three of my favorite MCU lines ever. And I wrote them down. They're in the thing and the lightning shows up. And the first line is, what are you, scared of a little lightning? And then Loki says, I'm not overly fond of what usually follows. Right. That is so cool. Such a good entrance to Thor. It's then, great. I love the dynamic of the very next line where Thor grabs him, takes him, and Tony goes, oh, then there's that guy. And Cap (laughs) says, we need a plan of attack. And Tony says, most badass line ever. I have a plan. Attack. And goes, yes. Yes, Robbie. Love it. See, okay. Then, hold on, hold on. Then the very next line, they just keep hitting me. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) The very next line is, Cap, you might want to sit this one out. These guys are like gods. There's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Yes! <laughs> I get three lines that all fit the characters so That's perfectly. True. That's a great It's point. like the pinnacle of the disagreement in a row, and none of it feels forced. I love it. 
That's a great point. It is, yeah. I, I mean, going back to how great all these character introductions are, although this scene is an interesting one for me to think about because on the one hand, there's something so huge about this moment where we get kind of the quote-unquote big three there in that forest scene, and it feels like a moment that could have just never happened. I mean, I've said this before, but the ambition behind putting all of these lead characters in a film together, it had just never been done. Nothing like this had ever been done. And it could have gone so bad. And then we see it and it's so fun and it works. And that's the, I mean, that's this whole movie, but I remember that specific scene. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have Thor, Iron Man and Captain America having a conversation. And I think, and so I get chills on that level. On the other hand, this kind of this stretch of the movie does feel a little wonky to me at times. In no, retrospect. no, 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 no. Uh, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. I, I think. I think. I feel like Hemsworth here is not quite settled into the role the way that he will be. I know we keep saying that. I really think that in the next Thor movie is when we start seeing him get there. And then I think in Ragnarok, he obviously really gets there. Okay, 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 okay. Where I buy that is like his conversation with Loki on the mountain is a little weird. Well, but where the, I don't buy that is I like the fight between them. Yeah, but what about the, you want me to put the hammer down? Yeah, yeah. That line's not great. It. But the thing is, Iron Man and Thor would probably fight. They're both overly aggressive, like no, no, macho I'm, display of masculinity that they're like overcompensating. So I buy the whole fight in general. Oh, I'm all down for that. And I think generally this is a movie that gets A's on both story and writing. You know, we've kind of talked about um, how some movies do better in one category than the other. But while I think the story is pretty much perfect from start to finish in, in terms of how you would want a movie introducing the Avengers, I like the writing. I think the writing is great at times, and I think the writing is a little... maybe. I don't think it's always as good as it is in later movies. I'll say that. I, I agree. But where I'm struggling right now in my heart is that, in general, I love it so much, and it's so high in my thing. So, like, even bringing it up hurts me. Because, I <laughs> yes, I agree, Robbie, but I overlook it a little bit because I'm geeking out about, oh, gosh, they're all in the same room together. Sure. No, and, and to me— So I, I get that, yes, it's a little bit on some of those lines with him specifically. I think it's—and I think it it is— forgivable because again it's the first time we're seeing a lot of these characters interact and kind of I think that Joss Whedon and Kevin Feige and everyone is trying to figure out kind of what the sweet spots are but the reason yeah, I bring this right. up is one just in contrast to to later movies where I think for all the issues that right. Age of Ultron has for instance that we'll get to I think the chemistry in Age of Ultron is is totally clicked in. Like I think by the time we get there until the end of the MCU, I think a lot of the things that are still like they're 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 great and they're fun. And obviously this movie was massively successful. So I'm not really poking holes in it. I'm just saying that I think as great as this movie is, that some things only get better from from here. I 100% agree. When we get to my score, you'll see that it's not the very top of the whole list for those reasons. Right. But I, when I was watching it, I'm just so in the mode oh, no, that totally. I can look past those things. Well, and the other side of, of, of me bringing that up is because I, the way that I watched this, I had to pause it for a bit and then come back to it later in the night. And I paused it right at the end of the big helicarrier scene. 
and came back just as they're starting the Battle of New York. And where I left it, I remember thinking, you know, I really love this movie, but I think I'm going to have to bring the score down just a tad because of some other ones that I think are stronger. And then I watched the Battle of New York and Kyle, like that 40 minutes, because it's like a 40, 40 minute stretch. It's pretty long. Is I think as perfect of a battle sequence as we ever get in the MCU, second only maybe to the end of Endgame. But even then, it's so much tighter than that because there you have so many characters and there's so much going on and I think it's brilliantly done, but it's just a different thing. But here, I mean, some of the transitions, like whenever, you know, the way you see Iron Man fly by Hawkeye and then it's from Hawkeye's perspective for a while and then he shoots an arrow and then you see where the arrow goes and it swaps to another character. Like the way that it's shot is just so fun and perfect. I mean, the whole time, I, I can't pull my eyes away from the screen during that entire <laughs> sequence. And and they're just, we, you know, we talk about cheerworthy moments. I have two right here that just get me so fired up. One. Okay, I have two pages of notes and you're going way ahead <laughs> where I'm at. <laughs> Keep going. Well, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold on, okay, hold on. Okay. I 100% agree. Love it. Well, I 98% agree. I can tell in that scene that they took the approach of, to me, the visuals fall more toward comic book Captain America 1 than they do like Winter Soldier, Rousseau Brothers, Gritty. Yeah, that's definitely true. Like you can tell that they definitely approach this fight as like a comic book fight. And I'm not saying it's bad, but with the aliens mixing in with New York and, and how it's kind of shot, they definitely are paying homage to, you know, comic books. But I do and want to I say think, one thing. So which you- is which is really good. But I don't I just barely, 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 barely don't quite prefer it to like the Battle of Wakanda and Infinity War, for example, because right. of the stylistic visual shots. But obviously, yeah, I love it. But one that's thing my that one I, caveat of no, for totally. me, preference. And I think that's right. I think you're right. But one thing that I do love that I've noticed is whenever I've listened to the commentary of this movie, I know that something Joss Whedon really wanted was to make all of this feel as realistic as possible. Not necessarily the visuals, because I think you're right about the comic book thing. But I think he wanted it to be, okay, given that you're playing in a universe of superheroes and magic and everything, what would it actually look like if an alien invasion happened in New York and you had these superheroes coming in to try to deal with it? And I think... One of the ways that you see that is the way that he has a lot of ground level shots. Like I think normally in big kind of disaster movies, it's always, oh, they're knocking down the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building or some kind of crazy large scale thing. And I really like how much of this shows, you know, there are people that are running from a cafe because the Chitauri are, are zooming down over them or the, the scene where Captain America has to go and save these people that are kind of hostages from the Chitauri. I think that it makes it feel like this is really affecting the people of New York. And I think that that's something that then carries forward because one of the things I really, really love about this movie is how for the rest of the MCU, people are referencing back to how big of a moment this is, which is something else that I don't think you really get in other superhero movies until this point where it's like, okay, you know, like something happened that has consequences for good and for bad that we're going to be dealing with for a long time. It's not just like, oh, the hero saved the day and now, you know, we're we're back at a clean slate. 
Correct. Including the property damage. Right. Right. <laughs> they have to deal with it. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's genius. I, li- I literally on that fight scene, so in my notes on the fight scenes, I have in double line, all caps, the Avengers, teamwork. <laughs> I was just so excited. Like, you know, the back-to-back shot in the circle with the theme playing for the first time, huge theme, uh, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? No, oh, yeah, gosh, yeah. it just, I finally have gotten to one of my top 10 single scenes as far as cheer-inducing, chill-inducing scenes when Banner says, my secret is, I'm oh, always angry. Okay. And it plays the, it, that's the beginning of the theme. So from that moment yeah. to smashing the thing to then they circle and play the theme, yeah. Is is a top 10 for me. I have chills thinking about it right now. Oh, no, yeah. Okay, can I pause the battle talk and just do a couple other notes on the characters interacting? Yeah, yeah, and sorry, I know I've, t- I've taken over your notes, so you should start back no, and no. go through every, <laughs> everything that you feel we should go through. I'm here for well, it. Well, I just found Easter eggs galore and little lines that tie to Endgame. Even going back to the the big three, the three amigos fighting, right? What a cool parallel of when they're all kind of getting up a little bit damaged of what's going to happen years right. down the road in Endgame. Right. Um, that's also the first time that Tony realizes that Thor's lightning powers him instead of hurting him in Endgame when he says "Hit me, Thor." That's oh, like him yeah. getting the extra supercharge. Um, such a cool thing. Like they tied that in, you know? Oh, that's true. Yeah. These are you things know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 These are things I didn't think about though. Jarvis says powers at 400%. He right. Goes, well, would you look at that? The character development of you're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. You're not the guy to lay down on the wire, blah, blah. Right. Obviously such a pivotal moment. Oh these yeah. These are lines that are going to be traced forever, you know? Yeah. Because Tony not only is the sacrifice play in this movie, which is maybe what Joss Whedon was playing off. Sure. We're going to get a way more sacrifice play later. Well, how about the line? Well, hold on. How about the line of Banner's trying to kill himself? And Tony says, well, maybe your life was saved for a reason. And Banner says, quote, save my life for what? And Tony says, I guess we'll find out. I've chills now thinking about the tie. Yeah. I wrote that down. I love that. That's the beauty of this rewatch for me is I haven't rewatched all these movies since I saw Endgame. Right. And it's just so cool now with the end in sight to pick up on all these things that you never would pick up on. Right. And it really gives me an appreciation of how much time they must have spent when they were making Endgame and Infinity War going back through these things, you know? Yeah. To tie it in. Oh, that'd be a cool tie. That'd be cool. That would, you know. Oh, yeah. Also, this is my last fanboy thing. Can okay. I just say, like, really quick, some of the really funny lines in this movie, like, some of them make me laugh out loud. How about the line when Tony's going on the whole thing with Cap about trying to figure out what Loki's doing? And he goes, he wants a monument built to the son of a bitch. <laughs> I love that when he realizes it's basically Tony. You know what I mean? I know. I know. I love that. Um, come on. How good is the scene with Tony and Loki when he says, you know, we're Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. And oh, that yeah. whole bit. Well, no, that's, yeah. Performance issues, you know, one in five. You know, like <laughs> that kind of stuff. So good. So good. That whole, yeah, that, that scene is one of my favorites. And then I love when they send the nuke and Fury says, but given that it's a stupid-ass decision, I've decided yeah. to turn it into, oh, so good, yes. And then my last one that makes me laugh out loud every time is Tony gets revived by the Hulk. And he goes, oh, what the hell? And then he says, okay, let's just, you know, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take yeah. a day. I love that so much. Good work, everyone. Just yeah. take a day. Let's not come in tomorrow. And the shawarma line is so funny. And then the shawarma yeah. scene following up on the shawarma line. Right, right. Um, and then my last dialogue chills line that I promise yeah. I'll let you talk. 
the very end of the movie when they're playing the song The Promise um, yeah. by Ellen Svestri, yeah. which, by the way, Robbie and I have a playlist online that you can subscribe to with all these songs in it. It is true. It's playing the huge theme, and it's incredible. And I have chills thinking about when Fury says, every world knows it. Do you know what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes! They do! <laughs> they do know it. Everyone be aware the Avengers are on Earth and they cannot be reckoned with. Back away. Okay, wow, I've changed the tone of this podcast with how excited I am. Okay. I love it. I love it. You take over. It. What are some things I've missed? Uh, one moment that is is quick but so fun for me is whenever Iron Man and Cap are fighting together and the repulsor blast shield combo. Oh, I think it's such a fun moment. He, again, that fight is so well choreographed and it's so fun and that's such a highlight. And then it goes straight from that to Thor and Hulk on the big Jatari thing. And I really love that. And then of course, the Hulk punching Thor moment is a really great one. Like I, I just, I, again, I, I think that this last 40, 45 minute stretch of the movie is the just one of the best sequences we get. Um, you brought up Fury with the stupid ass decision line, uh, which I love. I really love him in this movie, period. And I think going back to something that we were that we were kind of getting at in an earlier episode, I forget what it was, but we really do, watching it in this order, this movie kind of completes this arc of Fury in a way. I mean, obviously he's going to go on and be a significant character in later films. But here, if we're looking at... So true. You know what I mean? Like if we're looking at Fury, especially with Captain Marvel in there, and the idea that that early on, younger, he's sort of exposed to some of these other worldly things, and then his journey of kind of climbing the ranks of S.H.I.E.L.D. and sort oh. of helping Earth to be prepared to meet threats like this. I, I feel like it really does, if you're watching it through that lens, this movie feels like a really fun conclusion to that side of his story. You know what's so cool to me is not being a comic book guy, I feel like a lot of comic book people bring up Fury a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I watch these movies for the first time, he was such a small character to me. Like, I, I didn't get why he was so important. I mean, I've, sorry, I understand why he's bringing in these characters, but it was just always an afterthought relative right. to the Avengers. Right. But I guess I totally underappreciated how much I just enjoy Sam Jackson's playing of this character. Yeah. And partially probably because of this viewing order, like you're saying. Yeah. But yeah, this viewing order makes him more of a central focus. And yeah. He's really good and it's really fun. It is. And it and it makes me it makes me feel a little bit better. I know we've wrestled with the Captain Marvel placement, but I feel like it pays off here. Between yeah, it's, Fury and Coulson. He's underrated. Yeah. Um, how about the cool reference to Thor? Because we just watched it with the destroyer tech. That one weapon that Coulson has in his death that they got that from the destroyer. That's cool to me. Oh, that I actually didn't even I didn't even realize that. I yeah, he that. uses the tech from the destroyer. He says that we got this when you know you sent the destroyer. Oh, that's cool. And that's why it's like that yellow blast. Yeah, I totally missed that. Yeah, it's super cool. That's Especially now cool. watching Thor just a few days ago. Yeah. Last side note, then I have a couple questions, then we can wrap it up. Okay. I love the janitor character that stumbles oh, upon yeah. Hulk. He only gets like six lines, but they're all great. Yeah. And he's so compassionate, and it's just a fun little piece to add. He is. And I forget that actor's name, and it's driving me crazy, but he's kind of a famous character actor, and I love that he 
shows up in this way because I think it's the perfect fun little role. I think little things like that, as insignificant as they seem, actually help give us perspective of what would this be like if this were real? Right. There would be guys like this. Banner would fall into a building at times and be worried about would there be people in there? Those are little, little details, but little lines like this help me get me into that world. Yeah. Okay, so those are all the reasons I love this movie. And we talked about a few of the wonky things with the dialogue. Right. And we talked about how I don't quite prefer all the comic book visuals. But let me ask you one more question about Fury. Let's talk about the famous explanation now with Captain Marvel being released on why he's creating weapons. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I thought a lot about this. So I want to hear your opinion, but what's interesting to me is I always thought, okay, that's a stretch. But for whatever reason on this viewing, I bought the idea more that he's just telling them what they need to hear and there's no point in him revealing that he knows Captain Marvel at this point. Right. And I buy that more this time. I was thinking a lot about the Tesseract here because of our viewing order and Fury's relationship with it over the years since Captain Marvel. Because... If you think about sort of the chronology of the Tesseract from the end of Captain America, it's with Howard Stark up until probably the late 70s or 80s because we see that some in Endgame. Then it goes to Dr. Lawson, then winds up back with Fury at the end of Captain Marvel in the 90s. And so I think we're supposed to understand that he's had this since then up until the time of uh, the Avengers film. And I, I like the idea that he's had it, that they've maybe been experimenting with it. But I do think that the Thor battle in New Mexico, like what he said, probably was this sort of, one, it was, okay, well, things are happening now. You know, beings are coming and having fights here that we we're hopelessly outmatched by. And two, I think something that I had never really considered before, I think the significance of him contacting Dr. Selvig at the end of Thor and then seeing them together in the Avengers is this idea that Dr. Selvig's sort of research or or whatever kind of knowledge or understanding he gains from the events of Thor allow him with Tony's technology to actually utilize the Tesseract in a way that they haven't been able to before. So I don't know, I, I, I really liked tracing it and seeing kind of why at this moment now, right after Thor, we're suddenly getting Tesseract experimentation, even though it's been around for decades up until now. Yeah, I agree. I like how it can be explained. I guess my point is, I felt like in the past when I saw Captain Marvel, that's a plot hole. Oh, I see. And this time I'm kind of like, no, it's not really a plot hole. It's explainable. Yeah, it feels like a natural evolution to me. Agreed. Um, one thing that I do want to point out, and I don't think that this should be very controversial, I think that the costume design in this movie is pretty rough at times. Please elaborate. I think particularly with Captain America, I think Captain America's suit here is is just kind of awkward looking. It doesn't look cool. I have a hard time really being inspired by him whenever he's in costume in this movie because I think that the costume... It looked so much cooler in the first Captain America movie than it does in the Avengers. And it looks so much cooler in every iteration other than the Avengers. And I hate that in this movie specifically, the the costume's so weird. But I think it's something that is actually acknowledged because I think that's where you get that line in Endgame 
where Tony says, oh, wow, Cap, that costume really did nothing for your ass. <laughs> like, I think that Marvel knows that. It's one of those things that, that it's the same thing as, as like, you know, Kevin Feige looking back on Thor having his eyebrows dyed blonde in the first Thor movie as one of his greatest regrets. Um, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Really? He does look different. I didn't know that's what it was. Oh, yeah. I, I meant oh, to talk gosh. about this when we were watching Thor. But, yeah, it's uh, it's the only movie where he's like that. And Kevin Feige has come out and said that that is his greatest MCU regret, is forcing Chris Hemsworth to dye his eyebrows. But I think it's a similar thing, not For so For how extreme, unbelievably but, well they have done this entire MCU, right. there's always going to be little, little things that you regret like that. Right. I think it's actually a positive to say, if that's their biggest regret, that's oh, totally, pretty amazing. Totally. But I agree, it's a little bit not inspiring. But for what's funny for me is, in my brain, I just associate the look in general with, that's like comic booky. And that's what I'm trying to say. My yeah. preference is like, think about Captain America Infinity War where he's wearing the Wakanda shield. He's got the beard. Right. He's wearing all black. That's my cap. Oh, that's right. my cap. <laughs> so my point is like, my preference is I always tend to lean towards those kind of visuals anyways. Right. With that in mind, his current suit doesn't really stand out to me as being weird. Does that make sense? But I would argue that I think a lot of what you're getting, like, well, I, you I, said even Captain America one was better, so that's the answer to that. Yeah, I think that the that the suit here probably influences your perspective on the comic bookiness of the movie more than you know, because I I really think it's like a it's a huge factor in a lot of these scenes where I think if Cap were wearing one of his later costumes that just I don't know. There's something about it that it fits weird. It, the design just it doesn't look good, and so it just brings me out of it a bit. I think if he were wearing like his Endgame suit, for instance, which is pretty similar, or his first Avenger suit, which is pretty similar, then I would feel differently. But it's such a small thing. But I think I, I, I feel similarly about some of the other costumes. I just think they get a lot better as we go on. But I think Caps is the most noticeable. Dude, here's the thing. We've talked already for an hour about this movie, and yet I have. And I'm not going to get into them, but there's so many other little moments where I fanboyed all the way throughout. They're just too right. small to even talk about now. Right. But go watch this movie, people. Go watch it. Hopefully watch you it did. In our, hopefully they go watched watch it. it in our rewatch order, please. Yeah, hopefully they did. But go watch the other ones first. Get yeah. yourself prepared, and then put yourself in 2012 again and watch this movie again, please. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in closing for me, one, this movie works so much better as the conclusion to a narrative arc than just as a drop-in movie, which I, I do think is the way a lot of people have watched it. And what I've said before, I think Marvel wanted this to be a movie that you could do that with. And so they sort of do these mini reintroductions or introductions of characters, and it still works very well. It's still a fun standalone movie, but it, it packs so much more of a punch having kind of built your way to it, especially, I think, the way that we have. Secondly... You already sort of touched on it in terms of the first scene, but I love that even here, Kyle, we're getting a tease of Thanos. I mean, back in 2012. Oh, yes. And that it's then, I mean, I love that he's there and we're hearing about him more and more and then obviously get a better look at him in Guardians, but that he's still, it, it's just, he's there and he's there and he's there and he's there. It helps remind us that the seeds have, were planted for this yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited, again, to just kind of keep marching forward in, in our order because I think it also 
helps in that regard with like moving towards this unveiling of, of Thanos, who I know is one of your favorite characters. Oh, I love Thanos. <laughs> All right, so Kyle, it's time. Oh, it's time. Yes. Let's talk about what the score is for the Avengers and where it ranks in our list. This is this is a difficult one. Uh, we already talked about how Rotten Tomatoes gives up 92%. That's, you know, it's obviously a strong movie. It's hard for me to rank this one because I love it so much. It's it's sort of like Iron Man. It's so foundational. But I I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to figure out how to weigh how significant it is against how I think that, like what I was saying earlier, the MCU gets sort of better from here as it goes in a lot of ways. So right now, like Rotten Tomatoes, I have this ranked at a 92 and that puts it at number eight out of 23. Okay. I think the trick for me is it's not a perfect movie. I did have some questions and concerns, but it's awfully close. I also think it says so much about Marvel that I love this movie so much, but I do feel like there are still a handful of movies that are actually better movies than right. it, which is crazy. So I, like you, I originally had this at a 92%, but as you can tell from this podcast, <laughs> my viewing was so positive of it. I'm moving it up to a 94%, which is going to hurdle Iron Man. So in my original rankings, Iron Man was ahead of this. I am surpassing Iron Man just because of the team nature of it, I think. Okay. That's really, okay. like, I think my preference just errs a little bit more towards the team stuff than origin stories. And it's not a knock on origin stories, just that's where my heart lies. Right, so I'm right. moving up to a 94, which for me is number six. Oh, wow. So the okay. sixth best movie in the MCU. And that's subject to change, as we always say. Like, as I watch these other ones, I might move some up or down. But 94 feels yeah. fair. It's not flawless, but it's a very, very, very good movie. And it's the best movie I've seen so far. So 94% for Kyle. Yeah, I agree. I, and, and mine is higher than any other film. Uh, that we've watched so far on the list. But like you, I think mine might shift some, especially in in this next phase. I, I think I have some hot takes that are coming up. So get ready, Kyle. That was fun, wasn't it, Robbie? Just to rewatch this movie again and just enjoy it. Oh, it was very, it was so fun. Oh, I'm looking forward to some of these ones coming up too. So next we have Thor 2. It is the beginning of phase two. Avengers yep. was the end of phase one. So this is a good breathing moment for you. And... We are excited to try Thor 2 in this order because it kind of, again, is tying in this Thor-Loki mini-arc we've put together right. these and, last few films. And it's also going to start us on a new path towards an introduction to all the uh, Infinity Stones. Right. So what are you guys feeling about Phase 1? I mean, you guys all watched it. Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. We are the FFW Podcast. We want to know your thoughts on Phase 1. How did you feel? Do you agree with these takes we're giving? Are you enjoying the rewatch as much as we are? And then so. next week, we're, I hope so too. <laughs> next week, we're going to be moving into Phase 2 with Thor The Dark World. And we can't wait to hear what you think about that too. So stay in touch. You can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And you can follow it on Spotify. We appreciate you listening wherever you're listening. Thank you so much. We love you. We'll see you next week.